This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This podcast is brought to you in part by Sovereign Sportsman Solutions. As conservation officers, we know just how important technology is in this day and age. S3 is a cutting-edge and trusted vendor that provides state agencies with licensing, mobile, CRM, marketing, law enforcement, and event management solutions all in one place. They are dedicated to benefiting the resource, so check out the link in the show notes to sign up for their newsletter and get the industry insights, news, and content that can keep you up to date on the tech that helps drive conservation into the future. A Game Warden's children's book, titled A Cowboy in the Woods, is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood. While trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public 
and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 75, Heidi Murphy, Sergeant for the New Hampshire Fishing Game. And we're going to go back and forth, John, because uh, Heidi's got a very unique story. Uh, first of all, she was a lieutenant, an administrative lieutenant, and then she went back out into the field as a sergeant. We discussed that. And also, she is the only female of New Hampshire fishing game and has been for like 16, 17 years, which is, it says a lot in itself. And we really discuss it. It's, it's kind of hard to believe even, but when we only have, you know, 30 plus officers, it's very reflective of what goes on nationwide uh, ratio wise, I think, don't you? Yeah. Well, and that's the sad part about the demographic. You know, we really need more ladies in fish and wildlife as wardens, as conservation officers, and, uh, you know, Heidi has personified not only the female officer out there doing a great job on the thin green line, but actually left a higher rank of administration to go back to sergeant to get into the field. Um, you know, that's near and dear to my heart because I didn't promote above field lieutenant for that very reason mm-hmm. was to stay in the field, kind of lead from the front, stay connected to the issues on the ground and, uh, you know, not get too far into administration. Not Nothing against great administrators because we need those leaders in good positions but uh, when your heart's in the field, it tells you, you know, where you're driven. And Heidi's one of those ladies, you know, and to be the single uh, gal, so to speak, you know, pushing uh, the thin green line in New Hampshire with, what, 30 other officers, that seems to be about the ratio. And you look at that percentage, that's low, man. And even in California, with all the great uh, female officers we have in California Department of Fish and Wildlife, it's still about that same ratio out of, out of 500 officers, give or take. And, and that's the, that's the national trend and actually the international trend as you and I have learned and something we always try to promote is just more of that and getting the right females into this job because it's such a great balance and necessary. Yeah. And this was actually a request uh, interview too, from one of our Patreon members. So I, I went out of my way uh, to, to line this up and put this up in our lineup, uh, right away for our patreon members because you know when they come on they help support us i I certainly want to support them as much as i can so that that's a this is a unique thing about this uh i won't say his name because i'm not sure if he wants that but in the future maybe uh those sponsors that we can do that and and believe me you can't do that every time so i've had requests that i just haven't been able to put together not that i don't try but I, i haven't been able to put together but keep asking and i'll keep trying to make that yeah. happen <laughs> well wayne we're, we're always trying and we've had some some requests that are you know partially unattainable but we try uh we also got to give um retired chief of california department of fish and wildlife mild alma mater nancy foley a Absolutely. shout out on this one because she actually knows heidi which yes. is great talk about a small world and you know we had nancy on the show last year and, and what a great interview of telling her story and the challenges of coming up in you know kind of a male dominated profession way back in the day and uh uh, it says a lot about Heidi for them to have that connection, and I'm really glad she she was able to come on board too. And Nancy actually recommended that I interview Heidi, and I talk about this in the podcast. Heidi was my ace up my sleeve that I I knew that she would uh you know come on uh, the Warden's Watch podcast <laughs> and talk. So and and I'm I'm glad that she did, and I'm glad that the timing seems to be uh, Warden's Watch episode 75, which seems like a uh, a little bit of a landmark there, a milestone there, 75 or 25 away from uh, 100 episodes on Warden's Watch. So that's uh, that's kind of a landmark there. I'm getting close. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting excited. And, uh, geez, and we're going to get on with our producer, Jay Scott, and talk about our numbers last year because, uh, like, over 150,000 downloads for the year. I think uh, we're on the right track. We're doing the right thing. And uh, it seems like uh, from our 4.9 review on Apple Podcasts that uh, things seem to be going in the right directions and see, people seem to be happy and listening to us, John. Yeah. And again, man, we so appreciate all of you guys listening and watching. Um, the reviews show what we're doing and it gives us a lot of motivation to keep going. And yeah, it was a great year through a lot of challenges, but uh, we had a lot of listeners and a lot of new members, which we want to thank you all that have joined 
the family of Warden's Watch and Thing Neon. Yeah, and we're going to incorporate some of those comments, I think, throughout the year, uh, those that, that get sent to us, and we're going to read those out and get permission to use their names. If not, we'll just read that out so you guys can hear the impact that you know this podcast is having. Pretty proud that we've uh, placed some officers around the nation that give us credit uh, for inspiring them to continue on in their dream job, and uh, that, that's what we like to do, doesn't it, John? That's, that's our purpose. Yep. Nothing feels better, man, than to share the message and, and help motivate and have you guys motivate us at the same time. Absolutely. The bottom line is we are getting to talk to so many wardens that are out there on the front line still doing the job that you and I were blessed to do for so many years. And, hey, it cuts both ways, right, Wayne? It keeps us motivated on both sides. Absolutely. We're going to help send your message and their message, uh, and you guys are going to keep us motivated to uh, to do what we do, and we appreciate you. Yeah, and Sergeant Heidi Murphy is going to help motivate more females into the conservation law profession. We are speaking with Sergeant Heidi Murphy of the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. And I am excited to have this conversation because uh, I've been kind of, when we talked, when I talked to Nancy Foley, and I think I talked to her off air on that, but uh, she's like, why don't you interview Heidi? I said, Heidi's my ace. So when I pull that, when I need that ace, I'm going to pull it and I'm pulling it now, uh, Heidi. Uh, certainly uh, it's been a long time since Warden's Watch has had a female officer on. Not for lack of trying, and I'm going to continue to try, and I'm sure there's many out Good. there that uh, we're going to get on this show. Uh, but I definitely, I'm, I'm very happy that you could join us and talk to us. And, you know, one of the first we were talking before we were recording, and 18 years, Heidi, you've been on. Almost. Almost. When's, when's your anniversary? <laughs> in August, yes, in August 27th will be my anniversary wow. for 18 years. Yeah, wow. it does sound like a long time, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. And 18 yeah. years as the only female officer with the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department in that tenure. We had a couple others for short times, right? Yes. And I will say, I do kind of feel like that's one of my failures because I do feel like that you'd think that more, there would be more by now. Uh, but we did have a couple people and, um, you know, we did hire somebody, but it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think on both ends, they wanted to do something different. Um, but you'd like, I do, I'm hoping that in the near future, you know, more women are getting into hunting and fishing anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're hoping that they then move to the law enforcement realm. Right. But we'll see. Yeah, no, that's definitely in 18 years is a long stretch not to have mm-hmm. another female compadre uh, join you in this job. Uh, what do you think some yep. of the hangups are? I mean, do you think that sometimes they don't really know what the job is or haven't prepared well? I mean, I can remember, mm-hmm. you know, people coming through that oral board and, and not making, you know, not making the standard. You know, where do you think it's consistent or everybody had different reasons? You know, I'm just thinking if someone's listening to this, you know, another female that wants to be a game warden, maybe there's an area focusing on that we're, we're missing that you, you, you've you seen that, you know, you can help them, you know, get, get ready for it. Yeah. I think um, it's been tough. It's tough for me to say if there has been a lot of consistency because I was never really on the oral board mm-hmm. um, during my tenure so far at fishing game in the hiring process. Um, just from looking at the applicants that come in, I think sometimes, um, they might be like me, like, I'm going to say that I was, I was pretty lucky in, I really didn't understand what the position was when I first came in. I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went to like, a like I went to Chip Joseph. I was a teacher at the time. Chip Joseph came to our career day one day and I sat in on his, sat in on his, uh, like talk. And I'm like, huh, that sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe I'll try that. Um, and so I think for me, I kind of knew what I had to prepare because I knew what my shortfalls were. But if you don't really have an idea of what the job entails in the beginning, you're not going to do very well, you know, in the interview process or the oral board process, because you really don't know what they're expecting. And and not to say that you have to be this box person, because I don't think you do. And I do think you know, going forward as a department, especially to stay relevant and and um, consistent with what the general public wants, mm-hmm. um, 
I do feel like we should reach out to people that don't fit in that box and that can, you know, still move our department forward, but not lower any kind of standard, you know, for it. I don't know if I said that right. No, I, I, I get you. Maybe a non-traditional type of game warden is what you're speaking of about that box. How we, as maybe an older generation, perceive what a game warden should be. We need to right. break that train of thought and uh, maybe uh, upgrade it, update it, and help these people where we think they might exceed, excel in certain areas where we see that they have faults because they didn't grow up hunting and fishing and trapping and right. have all that knowledge, but yet they might be a avid hiker, uh, do search and rescue type things. Um, yeah. Be an something like that. I mean, you, I mean, you're, you're like a, a game warden or conservation officer, whatever you are, it is a very, uh, it, it, it's a huge gamut of knowledge that you need to have. So you need to all, you need to be able to want to be a law enforcement officer, first of all, because you're going to be dealing with uh, the general public in a law enforcement capacity, but in the same realm, you also, um, you know, care very passionately about uh, the ideas of conservation and wildlife management and the outdoors in general. And sometimes I do think it's hard to get people just that like those two ideas and put them together. So generally speaking, I do think traditionally, you know, Dad takes their sons out hunting and fishing, and that's how they grow up outdoors. Uh, and I don't, and women do that, but they don't necessarily then want to be a law enforcement officer either. But I do think that, you know, in terms of the future, I feel that there are certain characters that you want to have every game word to have. You know, you want them to be honest and, and, and have integrity, dedication, and passion. Mm. And, wanting to learn all the time i feel like as long as you've got those characters and a few more you know <laughs> and you can certainly have somebody grow to be a good game warden because as long as you've got those core values then that's what you need and you're interested in what you're doing mm. but it is about you know showing more people what we do and letting more different groups understand what we do to get them interested in why, why it's important. Yeah. And hopefully we'll bring in more people. Oh, absolutely. So if, if somebody thinks they want to be a conservation officer, they should really delve into it and get all the information and start preparing themselves for that. Oh yeah. I would say uh, my dad always said uh, proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. And that is true. Yes. <laughs> No, so yeah, no. I would definitely like if you're if you're interested, especially females, if you're interested, um, the best thing to do is to try to get involved with as much knowledge and research as you can in terms of what our job entails. Figure out where you're lacking in certain uh, criteria, such as um, your trapping knowledge or certain types of hunting techniques or fishing techniques or even fish that are found in New Hampshire or wildlife found in New Hampshire, or how wildlife management works, and just kind of go out. And if you're going to be passionate about it, you're going to you're going to want to learn all that stuff anyway, because that's what the job entails. And if you're passionate about it, you'll learn it. And yeah. that's the, that's what I did. Uh, I, I, I totally, totally agree. Uh, it's just, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, Andrew has picked up duck hunting. He really likes to duck hunt. And the other day he grabbed a duck at distance. And looked at the cover, and then he named every duck down through, and I was pretty impressed, actually. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, and it is <laughs> yeah. because, and he didn't get this from me. When he becomes interested in something, he's mm -hmm. a YouTuber. He'll sit there and watch YouTube videos and get all this knowledge that's just vast. Uh, oh yeah, and that's what he's been doing. And I told him he's been watching all these duck hunting videos, and I said, Andrew, those aren't duck hunting videos from New Hampshire. See if you can find one. Because our duck hunting is not so good. <laughs> not so good. You're watching, uh, you know, Central Flyway videos and uh, all this. Right. He wants to buy a bunch of decoys. He wants. To, I'm like, Andrew, that, that, that isn't how we hunt in New Hampshire at all. You can hunt in New Hampshire, but you're not, yeah. you, you know, it's not going to be like the video. <laughs> <laughs> so did he go out this fall? And he, he must have experienced it this fall. He, he had his last youth hunting uh, experience and he limited out. 
Uh, oh, wow. Pretty pretty awesome. Uh, Dad was a little nervous at the end because he just needed one Drake Mallard to make a limit. He already yep. had a hen. So we were looking for one Drake, and you know how that mm-hmm. is. Uh, yep. So... <laughs> And I kept telling him, I'm like, be picky, make sure. And he he did a great job. He let two flocks fly over, and both of them, the, the drakes were in the middle, and I was like, you know, sweat dripping off my forehead. Yeah. Uh, the third one, there was a drake on the outside edge, and he picked it out and shot it all by itself and dropped it, and I was just ecstatic because, yeah. Good. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, duck hunting is one of those things uh, that, that has so many rules and regulations, and there's so much to oh, it yeah. as far as, like, identifying on the wing. You really have You're to right. identify on the wing. Um, Do you remember what Pat Bosco used to say? Uh, Check he- every because there's always something wrong there's always something wrong with a duck hunter <laughs> and, and pat has said so no much duck <laughs> yes no and there's because there's there's so many little rules and regulations uh yeah. oh yeah no it, it's it's definitely uh it's it's a trying hunt uh, and you you know guys have to really get into it i know there's some experimenting going on uh in the midwest now with uh like a three duck limit no matter what it is three ducks instead of six oh. ducks so yep. any three ducks and you're done so to try to encourage duck hunting and uh, they're going to start working on that I, f- I forget what the name of it's called but that's what's going on out there which i think is a good idea because it takes that mm. pressure away you know you shoot three ducks yeah, yeah. you're done no matter what they are yeah so but interesting the- yeah, but only certain flyways. I mean, you could shoot three, you know, hen mallards, and that would probably have a little, you know, if everybody did that, that yeah. would probably have a little dead. <laughs> so, but in the Midwest, it's probably not that big a deal. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and which duck hunting brings me to rasp you around the story that we you told me before we started taping. Uh, the transition, because you used to be Lieutenant Heidi Murphy, and now Correct. you're Sergeant Heidi Murphy, which a lot of people... When they hear that, they think you you took a step back. And I I think Mm -hmm. in talking to you, you you feel like you took a step forward. And just talking about duck hunting this year and then working, if you just share that experience, because I think that was an ultra cool uh, analogy. Well, I will say that some people did think I was crazy. (laughs) I might have been one of them. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I get it. Uh, You know, but I did want to... I did want to go back out the field. So what I was doing as, you know, the Lieutenant at headquarters was a totally different cog in the wheel for conservation. It was still an important job because you still had to make sure that everybody had what they needed and, you know, there's permits and stuff to be done. And it's, it's an important part of the position. Um, But I just wanted to kind of get back out in the field. And as I was telling you for duck hunting season, uh, I was out in my boat opening day, with another officer and we were going up the river and I looked around at Don and I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty cool office. This is pretty nice. Mm. It can't get any better than this. And it's just really nice um, being back out. And I will admit that, you know, I still have some supervisory uh, duties just because when the Lieutenant's away, then, you know, the Sergeant will take over. And that's been nice. It's been nice to be able to still kind of do both. Right. It's a great question. I love it. So it's nice when the lieutenant's away is what you're saying. (laughs) 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 I think everybody knew what you were talking about, Heidi. (laughs) Because the sergeant is the hardest job in New Hampshire fishing game. I am going to say that because you do all the sergeant's responsibility. And when the lieutenant's gone, you then accumulate all the lieutenant's responsibilities too so it it, it is a very very difficult job the hardest the hardest job in fishing game lieutenant is so much easier um, because you have a sergeant (laughs) to do all those things (laughs) well i will say like in the interview i remember them asking like what are your priorities and i answered what they would be of course the first one is the lieutenant like whatever needs done is Mm -hmm. done um and i do remember thinking the people that are going to have to take the back burner, unfortunately, are some of the constituents sometimes. And that has been really, really hard only because, you know, I didn't go back to my own patrol. I went to a different patrol that was relatively new to me, still in district three. But um, so I had to learn a new patrol and also do the sergeant duties and still try to be good at both 
which for me was hard to do. It's still hard to prioritize what's important and what's not. Mm. No, no doubt. Yeah, it's a tough position, but it's a fun position. It keeps you uh, on your toes. That's for sure. Yeah, because in New Hampshire, sergeants are responsible for a patrol just like a normal officer is, which was really unusual. Um, so, but it it seems yeah. to work. So you have you know, all your duties as a patrol officer. You have your sergeant's duties, and when the lieutenant's gone, you have lieutenant. You know, you have lieutenant's duties. So, um, right. Ha- having done both jobs, I will say the sergeant is definitely the the, the most uh, uh, difficult. And you're right. Uh, sometimes. You know, uh, you, you got to drive by those fishermen because you have other priorities. You, you, you gotta... I know, and you feel like a jerk because you're like, "Ooh, I bet you that guy's <laughs> yeah. doing something wrong." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, the, uh... the key is to just work, work smarter. Work smarter. All. Yes, <laughs> there, right. there, there is no doubt, doubt about that. It is working smarter. And that, that's yeah. a lot of things, uh, you know, you just uh, talking earlier, you know, three deaths in two days uh, without your lieutenant. So yeah. That, that, that's yeah. in itself a lot of work for <laughs> yeah. any officer, any sergeant. And you are in a very busy search and rescue area, too, in the central part of New Hampshire. You take in some of the right. busiest parts of the whites. And it's not really central. It's the north Central, I think being, yeah. being up north, I think it's more central, but it's it's not. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely a uh, busy search and rescue area for sure. And you've always liked search and rescue. You were on the, and maybe still are on the advanced search and rescue. I have. Team. Yeah. No, I, I did end up having to get off uh, my last year or last couple of years as lieutenant, mm-hmm. and um, which is okay. I asked if I, if they needed me to go on, but I will admit that, you know, there's younger people that can <laughs> do that at this point. Um, but I did like search and rescue. And I think it was mostly just because, you know, a, you're getting paid to go hike again. <laughs> B, uh, you kind of got instant gratification. Like, you know, people love seeing you. There is great camaraderie among the search and rescue volunteer groups. Uh, there's great, you get to see other conservation officers, kind of have fun, joke around and get your work done. I mean, you're always getting your work done, but um, I saw it as a kind of a positive time. Even, I mean, it, there are times where, you know, someone's death is not fun to watch or see or deal with, but um, you know, we're professional in those, those instances. But again, the families are so happy that you're bringing their loved one to them again. So mm. it's always been a, I haven't minded it. No. Oh, have you had one of those ones that are really nail biting though, that those search and rescue missions that you can share? Uh, well, my first one that I started on my own where it was a death was last year where a gentleman went hiking up Moose Lock. It was a really, really, really cold night. Um, that night I sent two officers up and I was actually kind of nervous for them and said, Hey, only go as far as you can. Unfortunately, we were in an area um, where there's no cell coverage and the radio coverage is spotty as well. So you're sending two people up and me as a supervisor at that point, I was just really nervous for my guys and the hiker. But at this point, the hiker, you know, you just want to make sure your people are okay. So they went as far as they could and then turned around at like 3 a.m., and said, it's been really, really bad. And we did end up finding that hiker the next morning. He had passed away from hypothermia. And I think he did actually die even before we started the rescue because it was that cold out the day before. So that was not not great just because that next day before we found him, all his family had come up and they were like waiting at the same area I was waiting, just listening to the radio. You kind of want to do something, but you're they're just waiting for your people to do what they do best. And they found them, which was good, but it was not, you know, it was a sad moment for everybody. Yeah. You, you just uh, relayed probably for a supervisor, you know, the worry about your people that you send out there, uh, knowing it's really bad conditions and yeah, yeah it, it, it's a stress, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I think I actually lost five pounds in that two days. <laughs> Uh, I, I get it. I get it. Um, and then that night, I, I'm sure, I mean, that night, I was going to say, you got done, they, they turned around at 3 a.m. You didn't have a night. You rolled right into it the next day. 
Yeah, I actually stayed there the whole time too. So like I I actually so once they came off the mountain, I actually went to different locations just to see if he had popped out because I was waiting for more people to come the next morning. And then uh I had to get together the our uh the air uh National Guard because they were going to be able to help us the next day to look as well and um coordinate the AFRCC because they were going to try to do some forensic cell phone stuff to see if we could find him from there. Uh, so yeah, I was coordinating. And then when we finally found the body, um, they did airlift him to Dartmouth. Uh, so then I went over to Dartmouth and interviewed, like inventoried what he had with him, and, you know, did what you have to do there. Uh, and then talked to the family there again. So that was actually, I think over a, that was close. That was, if it wasn't a 24 hour day, it was like a 26 hour day. It was, it was a long day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember a few of those and that's uh do you drink coffee? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I started drinking coffee when I went into the office. So okay. yeah, I drink coffee. <laughs> okay. Cause I, I I'm, I'm trying to remember if you drank coffee. Cause I remember you having that, a travel mug at a couple of times, but I'm like, I don't know if Heidi drinks coffee, but boy, I hope well, she does. Sometimes in, the, <laughs> yeah, sometimes in those meetings, I would bring water. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's exactly what I was wondering because, uh, yeah, because I know you're kind of a, a healthy person. Uh, you, you think well. about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have my moments, Wayne. Yeah, well, coffee's <laughs> a certainly advice, and and when you work those hours, uh, the, yeah, it's just you can't function. Um, after a yeah. while and, uh, just that as you're bringing me through this and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm waiting for you to say, and I, I took a break and I took a break, but you didn't take a break. And sometimes it's better not to take a break and just keep going to the end and crash at the end. It's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, when we finally found him, you do kind of wonder like maybe if I had, you know, put my searchers on this trail, maybe we would have found him. But of course, you know, through experience, as you know, you know, you start where the car is and that's always what we do. And generally speaking, it always works out the best Mm because you can't just go, you know, try to find a needle in a haystack. You get to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you're like that night, you're always second guessing, well, maybe you did pop out here. Maybe they should have tried up this way instead of over here, but you just got to do the best you can and hope for the best at that point. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, and yeah. one of the other things, Heidi, uh, Northwood's law always kind of reminds me of like, you're, you're like a Turkey magnet or a Turkey case magnet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that was all. <laughs> uh, I, I don't either. <laughs> you know, it's opening day. Let's go ride with Heidi. She's going to have a case. <laughs> it was crazy about those is. I always felt self-conscious because when those were being filmed, I didn't have a patrol. So like I would just go to either an open patrol or back to my old patrol because nobody was there mm-hmm. and it was always holiday. So you didn't really know, you don't really have the feel anymore for who's in your patrol and where there's activity, where you should spend a lot of your time. But it, I just got lucky. <sighs> Same thing this, uh, this deer season. I got lucky on a couple bait cases and, uh, it's fun to get lucky. <laughs> it, it, it is. And I'd rather be lucky than probably anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, can you share with one of us uh, one of the turkey cases? Because I, like I said, you were known as a, I, and, I, and maybe it was just me, but every time I, you know, Heidi made another turkey case and, and you're right. Oh, it's yeah. out of headquarters <laughs> and uh, it's opening day of turkey season and Heidi's making a turkey case. It was, it was almost like a standard thing. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, one of the ones that was on the show was just uh, these two turkey hunters actually were in a field and the field goes right by Route 4, which is a, I'm not going to say Route 4 in Andover is like a high speedway, but it gets a lot of traffic and it's a like a, I think it goes from like a 35 to a 50 zone. So it's, you know, a pretty well-traveled area. And right beside it is this posted field, which is a good size field. There were two turkey hunters, the landowners actually were down in the corner of the field and they were trying to hunt turkey and they were had their eye on some turkey and stuff. And then all of a sudden here comes a truck and it stops right in the middle of the road and they hear a bang and they um, see the guy with the turkey in front of the truck and get in and leave. And so that's what we had at first. 
uh, and John Demler, I think, got the information first. And I can't remember if we were patrolling together. We might have been patrolling together and then got called to it. But we interviewed them again because we had actually asked um, Lieutenant Mancini to come down with his dog to see if we could find casings because we couldn't find anything on that side of the road. Mm -hmm. Like that side of the road is where Turkey would be and you would definitely kill something on that side. So we're all focused on this one side. And so I go down and I re-interview the people and and I'm like, so you saw them, you saw the guy go into the field to get the turkey and go back out to the truck. And they're like, oh, no, no, he didn't even come into the field. He was straight from the road. I'm like, really? And so we looked on the other side and the guy had actually shot the turkey. So he got out, went to the front of his truck and shot the turkey on the totally opposite side of the road that we were looking. And not even, you wouldn't even guess a turkey would be up there because it was kind of like up this hill. They're like, oh, wow. And then once, so then we found some feathers and, and um, uh, the casings and stuff like that. It was easy. Although then we had to find out where he registered the turkey. So we went to two, like a couple of places that we knew were the closest ones and they didn't have anything. And then uh, we went down further south into Loudoun and not Loudoun, uh, Canterbury, I think, off 135. And we're like, oh, that's our guy, just because of the description of the vehicle. Mm. And so we, inter- we go, he's a, a kid that was in college. I think he was in college for like, um, he had like a scholarship for javelin throwing. He was like a track star. And I think he wow. was talking about going to the Olympics at one point. <laughs> he's like, and he admitted to us, like after we confronted him, he just said, yeah, I kind of did something really dumb. And that was that was it. We did put a lot of work into it just because it took us a little while to kind of figure out where was this turkey actually shot? Was it shot from the road? And then try to find the registration for it. So there was a little bit of work there. But again, there are certain things where you got to get lucky. Like he had gone to this registration station. We knew he was headed in that direction. So we're like, let's go where the evidence takes us. And it it was it was kind of fun. Yeah. And you bring out something you know, we have gravitate to the obvious sometimes, like you said, that it's perfect manicured feel on this side and that's where the turkey should have been. But right. after a re-interview, it was, no, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's on, on the other side of the road. Uh, but you're yeah. right. It, it's, it's that because, because that's where the turkey should have been. So. Yeah. <laughs> and we've all done yeah, a lot of cases. You do wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I just, uh, and after you do probably half a dozen of them, that's where you always gravitate to instead of, uh, again, we got to break down that box and uh, not always stick something into that box and, and, right. and look outside. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, that's You're pretty like, cool. Oh, yeah. There's another side here. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and I told you, uh, we're going to use for the cover of this podcast is the moose that you did early on in your career, because it's, it's an iconic photo. I think it's just this oh. big moose. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a game warden's trophy for sure. Um, you know, to, it was to, a good moose. It, it was a very good moose. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I went looking for that today specifically and I was able to find it cause it was in actually in one of our operation game thieves calendars years ago. All right. So I was digging through there looking for some stuff and I was like, uh, I got to find Heidi's moose and I found it. Oh, yeah. So can you, can you just, and I, I kind of know the gist <laughs> of that case, but if we could put, uh, the story with the, the cover of this podcast, it'd be kind of cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was just, um, that was actually just a moose kill that, you know, you try to go back to as many moose kills as you can. Same thing with bear and deer, if you can. And um, that was just a matter of going back to the kill site and looking at the gut pile and trying to put two and two together. And, um, you know, based on what was left at the scene and the gut pile, both, you could tell both the shooter and the moose were not within three, like they were within 300 feet of the road, which, you know, for moose hunting, you're required to be both of you are required to be 300 feet. Um, and so that was, that was a good one. Delane Brown, Lieutenant Brown. Uh, I actually called him cause this was, I was actually still relatively new in my patrol. I had probably been there maybe a year or so two, maybe something wow. like that. So we're talking like 16 years ago. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I had called him cause he, at the time he was my border partner. He was from district four, but we, like he covered over toward Warner, which was close by. And um, I'm like, hey, Lane, can you come take a look at this? And, you know, I just want a second set of eyes making sure we're 
that I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing? And he said, yeah. And so we both go interview the guy. And if you ask Lieutenant Brown, he'll be like, oh, I solved the case. (laughs) (laughs) I needed my help. But that was a fun case because, again, you get to work with other people. And uh, that's always fun, too. Absolutely. And I've been there with Lieutenant Brown as well. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he solved some of my cases too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is. It is great to to work with guys and like, like him and and then Josh each other down the road. It's, it's fun. Um, yeah, I think the last block training, uh, I think he said, uh, who invited Wayne to this? Um, <laughs> cause you, you haven't been there so long enough to heckle somebody. So you, you know, somebody gets That's a little right. longer. <laughs> so Northwoods law, uh, I, I think you are on there quite a bit because again, you're New Hampshire's only female. So, uh, we, we got to get you out there. We got to let people know that we do have a female. so when you were out in the field uh they they, what was the first uh filming that that did you get you did with them you must remember that uh well the very first one was when they were trying to do a pilot i think not a pilot but like a test thing Mm -hmm. and i actually was with lieutenant nealon and we were going to check ice fishermen at um at newfound lake and we were just kind of riding around and just chit-chatting. Mostly it was Lieutenant Nealon and myself just, you know, joking around. Um, but then I think the first time I have to try to remember that now. One of the first times might have been in May with that other tricky case. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. But I I um yeah, was that my first? I just remember not that I didn't like it, but it was definitely. No, they came alone with me the first time. And then we were, we were kind of going around my old patrol. And I just remember, you know, again, because I was a lieutenant at the time, I did not have my own patrol. So when I went around in my old patrol, you're still trying to think about places that you think are, you know, going to be active for the day that you're at. And, but you don't really know the players a lot anymore. You know, a few of them, but you know, new people come in Mm -hmm. and um, I always found it not hard to find activity, but hard to make some of the activities interesting to viewers. Like I was having fun. Like if I talked to a fisherman, I'd be like, Oh, you know, I'd, you know, shoot, shoot the crap with them and check their licenses and have a great time. But for somebody to like, look at that and just watch it without any violation was like, you know, that's not a big deal. But even though I was having fun, (laughs) I don't know if the general public would watch it. Yeah. Did you feel pressured to go out there and find something you thought the general public might like? Uh, no, you kind of just, you, you want to go out there and try to find something interesting. So you do want to try to find something that, you know, maybe you'll get a ticket for this or I don't know, just something interesting about the job. Even if it was like, uh, you know, they did because it's on animal planet, they like wildlife calls as well. So mm-hmm. if you get a wildlife call, great. But most of the time I didn't really get those calls unless dispatch knew I was working that area for the day, because again, I would really only go out for like, you know, a holiday here and there, maybe a couple overtime details or something. Mm. Yeah. But certainly we're kind of regular on the show. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I don't really consider myself regular. Oh yeah. Well, neither do I Heidi, but <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So are you glad you were on it? Um, I'm glad I am. At first I was not, I don't want to say that, you know, you don't like the idea of being you're on there because you're the token female, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be earn your way, you know, into a position or whatever it is. Right. But I, once like you start talking to kids that have seen the show and a lot of them are little girls, it was cool. Like, yeah. and I, I was glad that I did that because it was good to see people come up and say, Hey, I want to be a game warden when I'm, when I'm older. And that's great. Like that part was pretty awesome. Cause it was, you know, like I would get letters from, from young women saying, Hey, I love you. And, and we love the show and I want to be a game warden. And like, I, sometimes I would send them hats or a patch or not a patch, but like a sticker or something. And that just like, it seemed like it made their day. Absolutely. And so that part is encouraging. I do think like, you know, 
in another seven to 10 years, you're going to see a lot of people wanting to be wanting to do this job, I think you're which right. is cool. Oh, and I remember being at wild New Hampshire day and having some of those little girls looking for you specifically. Uh, and oh. I, thought, I thought that was really cool. I, I, it, is, it is. That part is cool. So I'm, for that reason, I'm glad just so the word can get out to, you know, more females. Yeah. You're inspiring the next generations. So yeah. I, I think that is, I think, and, and that's what that show did a lot for us, I think, is inspired these next generations to engage. I, I hope this podcast does the same thing, to, in, to yeah. engage people and uh, to encourage them. I've had about six people reach out to me nationwide that have gotten jobs as game wardens and credited me uh, for inspiration from talking to people like you, Heidi. Um, that is pretty awesome. It's very awesome. And it's, it's, it's why I, I do it. I just, it, it mm-hmm. makes me feel so good when that happens, but you know, it, it's, it's about the officers and their stories and their legacies and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and absolutely seeing, and I think it started with uh, the Northwoods law, whether it was in Maine or, you know, wild justice was in California, Florida had a show, uh, still a oh, game right, warden yeah. show on uh, the outdoor channel. So there's there's still some stuff going on, but it's certainly uh, inspiring people. So it's uh yeah, that, that's great. And I always like that you you like the education part of it, probably because you were a former educator. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did teach science for three years, and I like you know even in this job, I still um, well, we haven't done BOW for a couple of years now, but when that gets back up, um, that's becoming an outdoors woman. BOW. Yeah, which has been good. Yeah, no, no, that that that's a great avenue. So, and I was just trying to think. Something came in my mind and out. It. I hate that. You know, at this point in your career, that's what happens. But oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh for for sure. Um, any of those best cases that we oh. haven't hit? Some other time you got lucky. Well, um, I did get. I had a fun case this fall. <laughs> I like fun Where, cases. Uh, <laughs> well, it was fun for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it means it wasn't fun for somebody else. Oh, I know what it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to this because we have several teachers that actually have become game wardens. And now that you say yeah. that, I'm trying to formulate because teachers have to have rules. They have to have strictness in a classroom. Uh, teachers, right. uh, I can see being. Good game wardens and you and Alex Lapischowski, a former right. teacher. I, I can see that connection. Actually, Lieutenant now. Mancini, I think, taught for a little bit too, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, I think there's a really good connection. So if, if you think you want to be a teacher, maybe you should look at being a <laughs> conservation officer. <laughs> That's right. Because a lot of but, people, and you brought this out earlier, a lot of people don't want to be that law enforcement elephant because you have to confront people when there's something wrong. And right. it's hard sometimes, I mean, when you're starting off to break the ice on doing that, you know, after you mm-hmm. do it a while, you get used to breaking that ice. But, you know, I think as a trainee, you got to confront somebody when there's an issue. And right. for a lot of people in society, they do not like to confront anybody. They are non-confrontational. And oh, yeah. We have to be confrontational by the nature of it. And so do teachers. Mm-hmm. Teachers are confrontational by the design of their job. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's- no, it just uh, when you were talking about that, that, that's why I went in my head and out the other, but I wanted to bring that <laughs> yeah. out because yeah. it was uh, a really cool thing. So maybe if somebody who thinks they want to be in education, but really wants to spend, you know, their time outdoors and enjoy the yeah. outdoors and stuff, that that's a good, you know, transfusion or somebody yeah. that's not happy. I mean, to be honest with you, Especially it's hard. science teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Because Alex, I think I think Alex was a science teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I could think of several other science teachers that would probably make really good game wardens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and have taken the path of teaching and are still teaching. But I I, I always I'm like man, you know, uh, Rachel Dandino. I work for her now at the college, and yep. she would have been an outstanding game warden. Just by, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working with her and, uh, you know, I, I don't, can't believe I have never made this connection until we did about the teaching thing, too. Because well, you know what's interesting is you are now a teacher and I'm sure you're probably pretty good at it. <sighs> right. And I, I hope I'm good at it. But, you know, what I take is all the stuff that I liked through the years of going to the academy classes and you know, the teachers that I liked and the teachers I learned from. Mm-hmm. I try to take those lessons and apply them because there's nothing worse than a boring teacher. Let's face it. Well, that's true. So, yeah. 
And, you know, when you teach, I teach introduction to criminal justice, which, you know, I'm fairly familiar with. So it, it, it's not that hard for me. Uh, right. So, and, and I'm a good talker too. So I can lecture all day long. <laughs> I can talk podcasts all day long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I always say the state trained me to do this. So it, it was a kind of a natural transition, but yeah. <laughs> so now, now I'm going to have a whole different target area when people say, oh, I think I want to be a teacher. I'm like, whoa, hey. Yeah. About being a game warden, especially if they say I, like I, it. I want to be a science teacher. I'm like, oh, right. do I have a job for you? Uh, yeah, because of the diversity of our jobs. I mean, we we can be, you know, doing that wildlife call, and unfortunately, we have to dispatch a lot of injured wildlife a lot, which kind of sucks. Right. And yeah, the older they get, you softer that you get. Um, so, you know, sometimes you try not to dispatch as much as you used to when you were younger, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even know if I've told this story yet, Heidi, but, and I was a young game warden, this, this crow, this American crow, he was, it was snowbanks, four foot snowbanks, and he had chiseled out a hole in the snowbank and, and he had like a, a broken leg or a broken wing. And he was living inside the snowbank on route three and I drive by and I'm like, I gave him a few days, you know, he was still there and I'm like, holy moly. So I tried to catch him. Well, he had too much juice, and Wayne was running through the snow, and he was a lot lighter, <laughs> even with a broken wing. So here's the game one, falling through the snow, trying to trip, and, and I made, I, I didn't catch the crow. The crow ended up back in his hole, and, you know, days went by. So I gave him about a week, and it hadn't snowed, so he was still there. And I caught him mm-hmm. in a week because he was a whole lot. He had an eight in a week, and so he was right. wasn't as fresh. But then I brought him down to Kathy Gregg, and I told her the story. I said, you know what? It's a crow. I know it, and we got plenty of them. But me and, yeah. this, me and this crow have this relationship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I couldn't bring myself to, to do anything. So she actually rehabbed him and released him and called him Survivor. So uh, No way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just one of those things that, you know, but, you know, for somebody that enjoys the outdoors and likes animals or wants to be a science teacher, that th- those are the types of things we interact with quite often. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, just the other day, um, there was a loon. That was, I don't want to really say stuck. It was kind of stuck though in Mascoma Lake because a lot of the lake had frozen up. Mm-hmm. There was this one section that wasn't frozen and it wouldn't leave for some reason. So it had been there for five days. And what was crazy is it was there with a Canada goose. Now the goose, you could tell had a broken wing or had something wrong with its wing. So it couldn't fly away, but it could hop on the ice and hop back in, but they were hanging out together in this one area. And so uh, the loon conservation society uh came and they had john that works there like got in a rescue suit i was with my float coat and my um ice picks trying to get this loon out of this one uh area we had to get tarps around because it kept getting bigger because unfortunately john like went in a couple times but um it was it was kind of the same thing, but unfortunately, in that case, I guess they once we did catch the loon, uh, it ended up having like respiratory uh, infection bad enough where they weren't going to be able to do anything with it, so that one had to be euthanized. But the goose that I thought I was going to have to shoot because it had a broken wing, Maria took that too, and that one is probably going to be fine. <laughs> and you're like, same thing. You're like, well, we don't have. I mean, our loon population's okay. But our Canada goose population is stellar. Yeah, no, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of those things, you know. When you you get it, you just boy, uh, you just don't have the heart anymore to 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 do that. And I think it comes with age, you know. For me, I think you're right. You're right. uh, I just get softer. Yeah. <laughs> now let's get back to that fun case, but I'm glad we had that whole discussion because that that was uh, oh. that was good. Uh, well, this fall it was it was fun for me only because I like I do like doing some sort of investigation, mm. and so I got a call from a licensed dog tracker, and she was a little upset because a hunter had called her and said, "Hey, my friend shot this deer." It went on to posted property. Can you help us? And she actually happened to know the landowner. So she was able to call the landowner. And after talking with him, uh, got permission for the dogs to go and try to find this deer. So she called the hunter back or the friend back and said, Hey, I've got permission. And he was like, Oh, never mind. You know, I'm just going to chalk it up as hunter loss. 
So then she called me and said, that doesn't sound right. I'm like, I would agree. (laughs) um, She told me where she thought that he had shot the deer on like the name of the property and actually through Onyx, which is a great program, uh, was able to find where she was talking about. So I just walked in, um, found some blood. Eventually I found what I thought was where the kill site was and then where it had um, gone onto posted property. And then as I, I called, um, I called her back and said, Hey, I think I might've lost it right here. Like, are you in the area? Could you still come and use your dog to kind of figure out where this deer went? And she, she said, sure. So I was like poking around and I found another trail where it had gone, but then watching the dog, like she arrived, um, we followed the trail some more and then eventually came to a dead buck. And we're like, well, wow, this is, this isn't, it's dead. The hunter did shoot it and they should have followed it up. Like they had permission to go on. They should have like, they're going to come tag this thing now. And so after calling the friend back, I'm like, Hey, this is, you know, Heidi Murphy, the New Hampshire fishing game. Like I need to know the name of your friend that supposedly shot this deer. And he wasn't telling me any information. He's like, well, I don't feel comfortable giving that to you. And so we had a conversation on the phone and then eventually he admitted to, he actually shot the deer himself and he didn't have a hunting license and he was hoping for his friend to tag it for him. And so um, after that, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Like it was just fun to, for me to, get a little bit of information. And from that little bit of information, follow up with it, go find what you think is right. You know, again, I got some help from, from uh, the licensed dog tracker to mm. finally find a deer, but it was, it was cool. It was like a fun, yeah, a fun case. <laughs> yeah. You followed it to where you can, then you used your resources, you find the yeah. deer and, and then yeah. you just, I, I love that when you say, you already know there's something wrong, but then when you have that conversation and now you know there's something wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're not telling me. Okay. Let's get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. It was, it was pretty fun. It was cool. Yeah. And it was just, I liked it just cause it wasn't necessarily from a deer slip and it was from taking a walk out in the woods and it was, yeah. I like that. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> when you were a trainee and you were with me and we did that moose necropsy? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I, I know you were good to stay. Tra- I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you brought this big, huge toolbox. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's awesome. You have this huge stuff. We're going to get into it. We did. And somewhere, I bet I have pictures of that as well with, with you. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to have to be digging for those. But uh. <laughs> yeah. The one time, though, that I was up in District 1 as a trainee and I was hoping not to find anything was that one where Chris and I went to this call where some hunters found what they thought was a human hand. Do you remember this? And there was a tarp over it and they were too afraid to you know, pull the tarp out. Cause it stunk really bad. <laughs> so we get there and we pull the tarp and it's just liquefied bear. Like it's gross. It's like the worst thing. And Chris is like, we're going to have to go and see if there's any metal in this. I'm like, Oh crap. And I had like my rubber boots on. <laughs> and so we're going through as with a metal detector and I'm like, please don't find anything, please. <laughs> Cause you're going to have to get in it. I already smelled so bad. And actually, what was funny is that night, um, my husband, Ryan, was supposed to meet me at like Happy Corners for dinner because he was going to spend my days off with me up there. Uh-huh. I was late, of course. <laughs> and I come in with my rubber boots and he's like, oh, my God, Heidi, smell. We can't stay here. Let's leave. <laughs> By then, I had already, it had already like passed through my nose enough to not even understand that I was a smelling horror of mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a lot of uh, people don't see that part of the job. And then, yeah, as a trainee, you, you get it. Yeah. I mean. The, the moose that we went through was pretty ripe, but nothing compared to that yeah. bear. Now that 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 bear sounds. Oh no! And you're yeah, right. You get used to the smell, and you didn't even know that you smelled. And your your husband's yeah. like, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> I can't remember. Did you offer me 
did you offer me peppermint? At one point, someone offered me peppermint to put under my nose. It probably would have been Vicks. I would have had it in the toolbox. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, just Vicks vapor rub right underneath your nose sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Needless to say, that opens up your sinuses. Yeah. My, my favorite story about those things is Brian Gillis. That will always be because he actually, when he opened it up, there was so much pressure in there. And you remember how Brian looked? He was, you know, had his hair was perfect and everything. And Oh, actually, he came on before me. Oh, okay. So he, he, yeah. he always had perfect bear. He was probably the best looking game warden we had. And when, when the body cavity opened up, the air released and blew his hair right back oh like he was, you know, on a motorcycle doing 90. And oh, my god! And he dry heaved really for 30 minutes. And, and I just couldn't <laughs> – I was laughing so hard I couldn't help it. Um, yeah, that that was uh, one of those moments. Uh, the moose that we had wasn't quite that bad. I, I don't think it, the gases had escaped, I think, at that point. but uh, No. No, it was oh, – it was – <laughs> it wasn't that bad but yeah people don't understand you know game wardens we do necropsy so that's dead animals we try to find out what killed them uh some of yeah. the neater stuff i i did one that uh actually it was in a bullfight another moose a bull moose had and it was a, a t- broken a rib and the rib went through its heart uh wow me and mike moody did that that was that was kind of neat to see because you don't know what killed yeah. this and as you peel back the layers of the moose and then you know to see that hey look at this broken rib here what's up with that there's no hole there's no nothing and then to see that the pierce the heart and we're like wow that that is pretty wild um yeah and the strength to do that and those those animals are just massive massive so yeah there's another picture when you were working chris egan i remember the the deer and the gun pictures too you had you guys had seized like a couple of deer and a couple of firearms too yeah you had a good training year didn't you we had a we had a good yeah it was a training year sorry we had a it was a fun year i remember doing decoys a lot Mm -hmm. uh with both deer and i'm trying to think if um i don't think we did grouse i think i was just up there for deer season um, I learned how to set a trap line for mice in the cabin up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's still ongoing. I'm sure. <laughs> but then I think I worked with, did I work with you and Mike Moody on Thanksgiving morning up there too? One year. I just remember going to LL Cody's after a decoy and we had yeah. coffee in the morning. Yeah. We usually ran a decoy Thanksgiving morning somewhere. So I'm sure that that was the case. Yeah. Ah, no, that's a. Yeah. Uh, Nope, so you you're no, was, a very active trainee because you get a lot of good stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, thanks for taking the time and sitting down and sharing a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, it's it's just uh, I'm so happy that we get together and talk about this, and certainly encouraging females to 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 join us in, in the career uh, path and. You know, certainly you with almost 18 years on, so successful and still having fun. That, that, that's, oh, yeah. That's the best part about the job. Like you said, you, you worked yeah. almost, you know, 26 hours and yet, you know, the camaraderie of the people, um, and then being able to bring, you know, their loved one home, uh, even though it's a, not a good scenario, but it, it's a fulfilling scenario for you and being appreciated. That's uh, to wrap yeah. that all in. So I always say this is as much your podcast as mine. Do you have any parting thoughts, any parting stories or anything? Uh, well, I would say for those that are interested, I, I do think that part of the greatest part of this job is the variety. Just because like, you know, right now it's the beginning of icy, ice fishing season and snow machine season. Once you start getting tired of that, it moves on to something different and you get to work smelt and then turkey season comes along. So mm-hmm. that is, that's one of the like hidden secrets, even though it's not that hidden, but it's a little secret. Like you don't get bored because you can't get bored because you're always doing, you're always going to do something different in like three months anyway. Right. So and you learn from what you, you know, you learn from those three months about investigative skills and you, you still bring it to your next three month time frame. But um, you're always going to do something different, which is what keeps your mind going and uh, what keeps you happy, happy in your work. So I would say that's a little hidden secret that's kind of fun. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and there's lots of opportunities. I know that you've done some leadership stuff. Um, gone mm-hmm. to, to West Virginia for leadership training. Um, the Operation right. Game Thief program I was involved with brought me, you know, internationally as well, which is uh, 
pretty pretty cool opportunities other ways to to fight wildlife crime and uh yeah, yeah so it's uh, it's good because you know a lot of the people i know just from that one training and then you were a mentor as well weren't you yeah i went back the next year as a coach a coach okay. Um, yeah and that was that was a fun experience too because you meet you know the first time you meet 50 new people uh in your class from all over the country right and then you know, internationally as well, when those, when those folks come over and you get to meet a whole nother 50 people and your coaches, uh, it was a, it was a really good time. And it was, it was actually not exciting because some of the problems, you know, with the department as a whole seem to be a trend, you know, throughout the country, but knowing that, you know, some of the states have figured out what they've done that have helped them with a certain issue that then could maybe help you. Like, you know, um, some states do like they actually have the game warden do like a mentor, like come hunt with a game warden weekend. And they take on a family that's interested in hunting and like or fishing or what what have you. And they teach them. And that's like it's their family for like the season. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's just really kind of cool ideas that they've tried uh, in different ways that you can kind of bring ideas back to your agency to see my you know, what might work. Mm. It's, it's interesting. It's, and the the people that go are great to talk to. And, you know, you're all kind of, you might not have the exact same job, but you all are talking about this idea of conservation law enforcement and how do we keep that relevant in today's age? And it's, it's kind of a interesting group of folks and really fun to talk about, to, you know, talk with and stuff. Yeah, it's it's working through problems with experiences nationwide. And, oh yeah, and coming yeah. up with solutions really, or trying different right. things. Yeah. yeah, and you bring like you know you can bring an issue that your agency is dealing with, and you can get perspective from at least six other states people because you're in a little tiny cohort, and then among your six, you can then get you know forty five other ideas. Mm that have worked for them or not worked for them, or they've tried something. And it's, it's a great, you know, sounding board for philosophies and ideas and, and um, you know, how do, how do we keep it so that people are interested in becoming game wardens and people understand how important, you know, each department is to their state. Mm. It's really interesting. No, oh, that, that's an awesome way. We started a, talking about the box and uh, now we're talking about thinking outside the box too with solutions to uh, issues nationwide. So I think that's, that's, that's a really good way to end it. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining Warden's Watch and, and, and being on. And uh, I, yeah, I, thank you. I, I really enjoyed the conversation, Heidi. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders.